Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside is located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. Well, we come to uh, an incredibly important text in our study of Mark. And as powerful as it is, uh, it has... Uh, it's an, it's, it has something working against it. And that is, it's incredibly familiar. How many of you, when you read, the, when you heard the text, you had heard that before. It's about love. And so you think when you hear it, the way it's been used in culture, the golden rule, it's, it sounds more, more sweet than it is shocking. More sweet than it is shocking. And the truth of the matter is, what Jesus says is profound, overwhelming. I want to give you two clues to how profound it is before we even start. The first thing is that at the end of this, at the end of this deal, remember, Jesus has come into Jerusalem where he's going to die. His first stop was the temple. And they, the religious leaders, have despised him ever since he arrived. And they have been doing everything they can to undermine him. Because they feel like he's undermining them. And they have, up to this point, laid three traps for him, and this is the fourth one. They're trying to catch him up in some way to belittle him. So that the people will stop listening to him. This is the fourth trap. And it ends with this statement that literally reads like this. No one anymore was daring to ask him anything. That's the first clue. What Jesus says here shuts down their attempts to discredit him. So it's that powerful. The second clue is that one of the one of the group who are trying to discredit him actually gets closer to Jesus than any other of the religious figures. I mean, there is not one positive picture of a religious figure in Mark until now. It's like one of the people in that group, finally sees what Jesus is saying and takes a step closer to the kingdom. That means you better believe Jesus said something more profound here than maybe we hear when we hear this very familiar text. This guy, according to verse 28, does what Mark has been arguing throughout this text is is these verbs of perception. Mark is very keen and perceptive. He, He sees things and he points them out. And one of the things he says in this book always is, listen, this guy hears a debate. He hears the debate we talked about last week. And this guy sees Jesus that he answered him well. So he hears and sees. And that's what we've been saying in the book. The whole book of Mark is designed for you to see Jesus 
different than you've seen him before, and to hear him in a way you haven't heard him. So the, that's what's incumbent upon us in this book. Are you seeing Jesus the way you really ought to see him? And, and, is, and is he the primary authoritative voice in your life? That's the question on the table every week in the book of Mark. Well, this guy is seeing something, and it's very positive. Now, granted, this is a trap, but it sounds like two friends talking because he's very positive. He says, hey, you know, I really like the discussion I heard with the Sadducees. I liked it. And then at the end of this text, he's going to tell Jesus again, wow, that was really good. And so it sounds positive. And Jesus is going to praise him. So it sounds like two guys. And then sound like a trap at all, but it's a trap. Although this man is more sincere than we understand. Now, here's one of the dangers of this text. And it's a culturalist. When people see Jesus, very often they see him as just a great teacher. And of course he was that. They will see him as an ethicist. Somebody who came up with great ethics. I mean, who else came up with the golden rule? I mean, everyone knows the golden rule, and almost everyone can attribute it to Jesus. It's very possible that you look at Jesus and you only see a great teacher, and if you do that, you fall short of what this man is seeing. This man is seeing Jesus more than the guy who knows ethics. So if your life is based on ethics, you're hoping it's based on ethics, but you don't see Jesus more than an ethical teacher, you miss what Mark is trying to show you about who Jesus is. And that is the mistake. Now you say, what's so shocking about the question? How is it a trap? Well, here's the thing. It's not the question itself. Like, what's the greatest commandment? All right. Uh, They constantly debated what's the greatest commandment. That's why it comes up here. They were always debating. I mean, this is an expert in the law. He spends his life in the law. You say, how much of an expert in the law is he? Well, this group of people, they make up laws. They have laws on top of laws. They had 613 laws they found in the Old Testament. 613, you think 10 is crushing you? 613, they made laws out of laws. You know why there's 613? Because there's 613 Hebrew letters in the Ten Commandments. How many of you knew there was that many letters in the commandments? No, they knew. They knew everything about the law. That's all they did, counting the letters in the commandments. They had 248 positive ones and 365 negative ones, one for every day. You wake up every day with a negative law. I mean, everything was about the law. They knew it inside and out. And so what do you think law experts do when they get together? Hey, which one do you think is more important? That's all they did. And they described it as not necessarily more important, but heavy and light. Hey, so what's the heavy commandment? What's the weighty ones to you? And what are the lighter ones? Now, the trap is simply this. We've watched Jesus close enough, and he seems to have some disregard for the law. We hold it up here. But if you've been following us in Mark, Jesus 
tends to look at it a little different than we do. And if we can somehow show that he doesn't think very highly of Moses and that the commands are really great, if we can do that, then we'll discredit him right now and show him the door. So that's the trap. What's so shocking about getting the question? Jesus seems to answer it pretty simply. Ah, this is where it is. So here's the premise behind the question. Uh, Jesus, we have 613 laws. They're crushing us. We can't keep them. Is there somehow you could reduce them to like what's the one or two most important ones? So that we could feel a little better about ourselves when we keep them. See, that's what people want. And see, this is the typical problem of a legalist or a moralist. You're always looking for the most important law. You're always looking for the one or two that really matter to you. And I guarantee everybody in this room has certain pet laws that they love. And you love to mock people who don't keep them. I can't believe they do that. And you go there. This is your face. Who would do that? That's what you do. Anybody in here not do that? You completely ignore the fact that you don't even keep that law all the time. But when somebody violates a law you love, you're dumbfounded. But then all the laws that you don't keep, well, you try to avoid those. You try to avoid that conversation. Because you've picked your pet ones. That's what legalists and moralists have to do. Because too many laws, too crushing. Please, just give me one. Wouldn't you love it if I just said, look, if you came to church three times out of four in a month, which very few of you do. But if you, I'm just saying, if you came three out of four times, you'd be good with God. You'd be fine. You know, you would probably start to disregard a lot of the other laws. We all want somebody to tell us something that we can do. Well, that's what's happening here. And if you remember, remember he says, I heard the debate you had with the Sadducees. Remember that debate? The debate was, is there an afterlife? Is there a resurrection? Well, you start talking about the afterlife, the next question is, how do you get there? What do you got to do to get there? Well, if you're a law keeper, you know exactly what you have to do to get there. you got to keep laws. But, but you're being crushed under them. And that's why Luke adds that little line in the story of the Sadducees where he says, not everyone is worthy of the future age. Well, that's the burden of humankind. Who's worthy to get to the afterlife? Who gets to go? Well, you assume the law keeper gets to go. That's why you're trying to figure out laws. You'll make up laws. I mean, haven't you been around people who just make stuff up that make them feel more righteous than other people? That's what you do. You make them up and you reduce them to this little thing and then you just start to, you hope and pray. You're, by keeping them, you're good enough to get to heaven. Well, that's the premise under the question, what's the greatest commandment? Give us one. Make life manageable for us. And Jesus is going to just demolish the question because here's what Jesus has to do. He cannot reduce the law. 
He cannot lighten the load of the law. Yet, he cannot remove that pressure that way. What he has to do is change your complete approach to the law. He has to change you. Not the law. He's got to change you. And of course, this is a profound thing. And that's where this argument goes. So this guy says, which which is the most important of all? Give us one. This guy wants one. Well, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, all right, you want it? I'll give you one. He ropes him in. The most important is the Shema. That's That's what the Hebrew word for listen. Here, that's why they call it the Shema. Israelites prayed it every single morning. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if you're that guy, you go, well, there's the one. But Jesus isn't finished, and he almost never is. And he says, there's a second. And if you're the guy, you're going, ah, darn it. Now we're going to have one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there's no other commandment. You can't pick one that's greater than these. All right. He gives them two. And he does what no other rabbi had done up to now by combining these two. Taking the law from Deuteronomy 6, 4 that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With everything in you. And then Leviticus 19, 18, which says, love your neighbors yourself. He put them together. And he says, there's nothing greater than these. So now these two become inseparably linked. And you better believe that's critical. It's very important, as we'll see. Matthew adds, on these two commands, you hang the whole law. Now, feel the weight of this. Here Jesus gives... The one command the guy asked for adds a second one, okay? So imagine there's sort of two ah, ropes, and you've got the two laws, and they represent the two laws, and then on that you've got a hook on them, and then you just hang all of the laws on top of those two. Well, guess what? That's all the weight of the law. He didn't reduce the weight of the law at all. Because Matthew said... On these two hang all the law. So if you're this guy, you're going, what Jesus is saying, you cannot reduce the law to one or two of your favorite things. And then be proud of yourself because you keep them. Jesus just shut down, literally shut down his whole premise. Now this guy's feeling the weight even more. And Jesus isn't even done yet. So, so what is Jesus doing here? It's because it seems to be that the two laws are all about love. This guy asked about the law. And the second commandment, which is the one that comes, the love your neighbors yourself. Here's what Jesus does with the law. He says it equals Love. This is what Jesus is doing 
just we're going to tease this out now. You come to him and you say, I need a law that's manageable. And Jesus says, the problem is, the whole thing is based on love. So, if you're going to love properly, you got to have the law to show you how. The law shows you how to love. That's what the law does. So if you're going to love, you got to have it. You can't reduce this because when you do, you reduce your what? Your love. All right, so if I say to you, here's what this guy's hearing, okay? The expert in the law is hearing. Uh, if, if you say to me, I didn't commit murder this week, which I'm proud of you because you probably wanted to kill a few people. All right? You didn't kill anybody. Well, good for you. That's keeping the law. But if the law actually is love, then what Jesus is saying, did you love everyone through the law? How, how did you show your anger to people? You see, this has to give way to love. So not only are you keeping the law, you're supposed to love the person on the other side. They don't, they don't get an inappropriate version of your anger either. You're like, ooh, I don't love that great either. I don't keep laws that great, and now you're telling me I'm not a great lover either. So this is getting heavier. You see how it's getting heavier? It's not getting more manageable. What about adultery? I didn't commit adultery this week. Are you a loving spouse? See, the purpose of the command is not just to keep you from crossing boundaries. It's to make you a loving person. We've got lots of people who don't commit adultery, but are not loving spouses at all. But they're proud of themselves. Jesus says, if the law doesn't equate to love, then you missed the purpose of the law because it's just designed to show you how to love. You're like, oh my goodness. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, Jesus has done something, two things at one time here, and it's just amazing. First of all, he's given you the probably the most positive perspective on the law you've ever had. It's not just cut and dried, negative, just do what you're told. That's all, just do what you're told. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus has given you a positive spin on this law, this law, the laws I gave you. They're really ways to love. Have you ever had a more positive spin on the law than that? Jesus gives the most positive spin on the law you can have. But on the same time, at the same time, he gives you the most threatening perspective of the law you can have. Because you're like, not only am I a horrible law keeper, I'm a miserable lover too. Right? Anybody, everybody here going, yeah, that's totally me. So Jesus is doing this to this guy. So he doesn't love. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't take the weight off of the law at all. So Jesus, what, what are we supposed to do here? What, what, what does this mean? Well, Jesus is going to say, you have to change your approach to the law. So the issue is going to come here. It's going to come on this side. And of course, that's going to be Love God. Now, here's the thing. 
about the law that you've got to be really careful of. Everything about the law is how you use it. Okay? So Jesus says, if your approach to the law is, tell me which one to do so that I will get love, then you're approaching the law wrong and it'll crush you. Do you see the difference in that shift? If the law's not an expression of love for you, but a way to get love, like God, show me the one or two I can do to get your love. Show me the one or two that I can get to make other people like me and to see me as a good person. Please make my life a little bit more manageable. That's really all about self. Do you see that? I'm really just obeying the law to get something out of it. You say, well, what motivates that? The only thing that motivates that is either fear, because I'm afraid I don't match up. I'm afraid I'm not reaching the standard. And if you happen to come anywhere close to meeting it, is pride. It's the only thing that motivates law-keeping, if love doesn't start it, is fear and pride. And these will crush you. These crush people. This is how the law crushes. It either puffs you up and makes you think you're better than other people. Or it keeps you so fearful that you don't match up. One or the other. Either way, Jesus is saying, both of these motivations are self-centered. They've got nothing to do with me. So what does Jesus have to do? Jesus has to come along and say, I've got to give you a completely different motivation for the law. Because the only motivation you have is to somehow impress me. I don't need to be impressed. I can't be impressed. Don't use the law to get my love and acceptance. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let me tell you why this is critical. I'm going to show you why this is critical. I'm going to show you what, what, what happens on both these sides. Let me get another screen here. Okay, so we got the law in the middle. Okay? Why does Jesus say there's two commands? One on this end and one on that end. Love God. Then love your neighbor. So it's love neighbor. Love God. And the law's in between. And all the law hangs on these two. They go together. You cannot separate them. They're linked. Jesus clamps them together in a way you can't take them apart, which is what the guy was wanting to do. And see, you want to do that too. Now let me show you the two different categories. What happens if you decide you only want this rope? You only want this side. You just want to love God. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people like that. Most of the people I meet would put themselves in this category here. God and I have an understanding. That's how most people, they get all mystical and they say, you know what? I wake up every day. I'm not really sure which laws I'm going to keep. God and I decide that based on what's best. 
I'm not really sure what I'm going to do today. God and I, we have a thing. How many people have I had a conversation with in my lifetime since I've been a believer who relate to God like that? And here's what Jesus is saying. No, 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 no. You got to do what he says too. You can't just have a dynamic where you're in charge and you dictate how it goes. And however you feel today with God determines whether you're going to do what he asked you to do. That's not love for God at all. And if you're counting on that, hey, look, I know there's a Bible. I know God has spoken. I know there's things. But you know what? God God knows I love him. That's how a lot of people relate to God. And if you do that, you have just taken off the second piece. You are, you're shattered. You, you, you're crushed. You can go nowhere. People, this is very abstract. On the other hand, on the other hand, some people want no connection to God whatsoever and don't care. They think the most important thing is just loving people. Just love people. Just love them till you drop. And I've known lots of people like this. Hey, the more I do for people, the better I feel about myself. I'm sure God accepts that. Now you're using love for people to gain acceptance. It's complete opposite. No reference to God. And I had a buddy like that. When I used to, I've known lots of people, but uh, probably my, uh, I had a buddy who used to work on Miami Vice when I was a, a driver for the television series Miami Vice in the 80s. Some of you weren't born. Uh, and I hate you. I hate you. Um, uh, Eddie Almos was the captain on that show. And the show was really big. This is in the mid-80s. The show was really big. And uh, Eddie Almos was probably the sweetest man you'll ever meet in your whole life. He was a guy that even though the show got famous and he got big time, uh, he still had lunch with the crew. Everybody else sort of moved into another category and you didn't see him. But Eddie hung out with the crew. I got to eat with him all the time and talk to him. Got to share the gospel with him. Talk to him regularly. And when we were, uh, here's, a, here's a shot of him. This is him winning the Golden Globe right here. And that's me next to him in a perm and immoral shorts. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you'd get a kick out of that. He won the Golden Globe, and he brought it to take pictures with all the crew. That's the kind of guy he was. All right? And so then I'm not the only one laughed at. There's Gail. Uh, that big hair thing. Joni and Chachi next to, next to uh, Eddie. And you got to have a big hat, by the way, to cover that perm. All right? Well, Eddie was... A self-proclaimed humanist. When we talk about religion, he would say, I'm a humanist. And I say, explain that to me. It's all about loving people. And he did. He loved them incredibly. He was the sweetest, nicest, most generous person. He couldn't help himself. He just exuded it. But when it came to discussions about God, he didn't need it. He didn't need it. Some way, shape, or form, he was using the law. And so if you're a guy like him, there's some days you wake up and you're fully confident proud of what you've done. There are other days you wake up and you go, I don't know if I've done enough. You see how it crushes you? Even if you're a sweetheart of a guy, it's still going to crush you because you don't know. That's fear. 
Better help somebody else. Better help somebody else. Better do this. Better do that. That's what the law does. It'll crush you. So the only way the law then, the only way that the law becomes life-giving is if you're already loved before you go to keeping. You see that? If you already have a love relationship with God and you don't use the law to try to earn it, do you see? Changes everything. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to tell you that the law doesn't matter because the law does matter. It's why you do that law that becomes the essence of the issue. A relationship with me is what is first and critical. But you cannot have a relationship with me and it not translate into looking at the law and asking, how can I love other people? God loving you transforms you into a lover. Read 1 John. Do you see that? Not a law keeper, a lover. Do you love him? When you come to moral predicaments in your life on a weekly basis, does love drive you? Or does fear or pride? That's the essence of the relationship with God, which was the whole discussion last week. God loves you so much, he's created an afterlife because he wants to be with you forever. Well, how do you relate to him? It's not through law. It's through love. He's a personal loving God. He wants intimacy. And when people fall in love with him because he's loved them, they become law keepers. But not because they feel like they have to. They're driven to love. Jesus just flipped this thing all around on this guy. So what kind of love is it? Let's look at that, and then we'll tease this out just a bit more, and we'll be done. What kind of love is it? What does he say? God is one. He's one God. So this, this spoke volumes to our hearts, which are very fickle, and we have lots of things we love. We have lots of things that get our attention in the course of the world. We have lots of things we put our affections on. And here's what God is saying. There's only one. So that means your love can only go in one direction. It can't be split up, can't be separated, and it can't be divided. Part of you can't love this, and the other part of you love that. There's one God. It all goes to one location. If it's all going to one location, it demands all of you, every part of your personality, every part, everything you possess from the inside out has to be his. And if you love him like this, you will love people like he is describing. And you won't be discriminating which laws you get to keep. Because of the relationship that you have with him. It's all dependent there. So it's total responsive love. So this means something utterly staggering must have to happen on this side. Something soul-changing, earth-quaking 
must happen supernaturally in a human being for them to become this kind of a person. Because you cannot fulfill this law without this. If you try, it'll crush you. You're not built. You're not built for it. You can't keep enough laws. You got to have this first. They go together. Can't separate them. So, look at this. Listen to 1 John. 1 John teases this concept out as beautiful as anything in the New Testament. Just a couple of verses to help you see what I mean. Notice what 1 John says. For this is the love of God. How do you translate that? This is what it means to love God. That's the line. Look what it says. We keep his what? You keep the commandments. You don't get to pick one. You don't get to decide which ones are important. You don't get... You don't get to do that. You don't have an arrangement with God that the commandments don't matter. He knows how you think. No, 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 no. If you love him, then then they matter. Can't help it. His love is in you, and it flows into love for other people. That's why you keep him. And look what he says. And so the commandments, look, don't weigh you down. See, this guy comes to Jesus because he's burdened. He can't hold up under the commands anymore. And Jesus said, the only way I can remove the weight is not lighten the load. The load can't lighten. All I can do is change your motivation and give you a love relationship with God where you don't have to earn his love. You already have it. And then the commandments don't weigh you down because you don't operate out of fear and pride anymore. You operate out of love, see? And then he'll go on to describe, because everyone who has been fathered by God or born of God conquers the world. This is the conquering power that has conquered the world, our faith. Now stay with me. He started with love. You've got to love God. Now he's saying you've got to have faith in God. And then he goes on to say, now who is the person who's conquered the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see where he has taken you? He has taken you from a love relationship to an understanding of who Jesus is. When you understand who Jesus is, then you understand the love relationship. That transforms you and you become a lover and the commands are not so burdensome anymore. Do you see that? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's overwhelming. So Jonathan Edwards would say, love... Love is the main thing in saving faith. I believe, I believe in Jesus. Do you love him? Remember what he said to Peter? You love me? No, do you really love me? No, really, do you love me? You're like, uh, yeah, I love you. Do you really love me? Or you're just so self-centered that you keep laws to make yourself look good instead of loving people. See how self-centered we can be? We're so self-centered, we even use the law. So he says, love is the main thing. So when I, you know, the, the best way you could describe yourself as a Christian, 
I love God. I love him. I can't help myself. I love him. You ask me why I blank, I can't help it. I love it. You ask me why I do, I can't help it. I love it. Why do you love him? Why do you love him? Why aren't you afraid of the commandments? Look at this. Look at John. Same book, next chapter. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. I don't keep the law because I'm worried about what I'm going to get or not going to get. I keep the law because I love him. So fear doesn't motivate my treating people the way I'm supposed to treat them. Loving people the way I'm supposed to love them. As basic as this, as this sounds, Hillside, one of the most important questions you can ask yourself every single week is, am I a loving person? Am I becoming more loving or less loving? Check it. Am I becoming more loving or less loving? Fear, love drives out fear. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. Man, you don't get love if you're still doing commands so God will accept you. And why do we love? Look what it says. Because he loved you even though you stood there and realized you're the rotten lover and you can't keep a law to save your life. And he loved you anyway. And he loved you anyway. That's the only possible way to approach any of this. And so here comes the critical moment because this guy gets it. This guy gets it. Now watch what this guy realizes because he's heard what you just heard. The expert in the law. I love how they just keep calling him that because he's just such a law freak. Freaky with the law. He says, Jesus, that's true. You know, you're right. Teacher, you are right to say that he is one and there's no one else besides him. Because I know how fickle my heart is. And to love him with all my heart and all my mind, all my strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. I get it. I get it. But then he adds something. And I know that it's more important than all. He's going to bring in another all. That's all we've had. What's the most important commandment of all? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, all your mind, all the alls. And then he says, and I guess that's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you're like, Jesus was like, he gets it. He gets it. He's so excited. He's been fighting with these people since day one. These experts in the law, these people who count letters, these people who, when they wake up and feel bad, make up another law. This guy's, and when they can't fulfill them all, they just go to the temple, make a sacrifice, hope that closes the gap, move on. That's what they do. And do you remember where they're standing? They're standing in the temple. That's where Jesus is. It's Passover week. 
They sacrificed animals day and night every day of the year. But on Passover week, it was like if you have a lighting company and it's Christmas season. You make all your money, all right, from October to January. Well, that's how the offerings, that's how, this, that's how the burnt offerings were. Because everyone has flooded town and you can hear it in the background. What did Jesus do when he came into town? The first thing he did, he turned over the money table. He put a halt to the sacrifices. No more buying. We got to clean this mess up. Sacrifices halt. And here this guy goes, oh, I think I get it. How much money have I spent on sacrifices through the years? How many bloody messes have I created? And you're telling me it won't help. All right, Jesus, you have told me I'm a bad law keeper. You have told me I can't love worth beans. And now you're telling me all my sacrifices didn't mean a thing. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> you came and said, hey, look, could you just give me one law so I can go home and keep it? Ah, you're crushed. You're crushed. He's trying to manage the weight of the law. And Jesus just grabs it and yanks it down on him. And crushes him right there. And he's going, oh my gosh. Where does that leave me? You ought to be asking that question. Where does that leave me? Jesus goes. When Jesus saw. And by the way, he sees this in your heart. He's got a heart monitor on you. He knows it when it starts to connect. And he can't help but move toward people whose hearts start to get this. He answered the guy, that the guy answered thoughtfully. He's thinking. It's the third time a, a, a different word for mind is used in this text. Love the Lord with all your heart's own mind. Then the guy repeats mind, but he uses a different word. Here he uses the third word. And you're getting the feeling that the guy's mind is getting it. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This statement is just designed to get everybody going. What does he mean by that? What in the heck does he mean he's not far from the kingdom? Well, you know how you make a real stride close to the kingdom? The only way to get close to being under the rule and the reign of God and therefore under the blessing, the spiritual blessing of God is to realize you aren't worthy. You got to start there. If you start there, man, you take a big step toward the kingdom. You're not in all the way yet. By the way, that statement means some people are close, but they're not in. Doesn't that mean that at least? Because he wasn't all the way. Some of you are doing this, literally. Every week, you make it a little step closer to the kingdom. You're figuring it out. You can't do it on your own or by yourself. And it's a tough, this is no easy walk. Because this is getting rid of pride and fear. And pride and fear are your two biggest motivators. And you're getting rid of both of those. And as you do, you get closer to the kingdom. And you're close when you realize that you're bankrupt. 
And look, at that point, everyone goes, all right, I think the questions need to stop here because he's blowing us away. He's blowing us away. Now, here's what's so beautiful. You say, well, if getting close to the kingdom is all about realizing you can't get in by anything you do, how do you get in? Because Jesus doesn't tell him, and Mark teases you on it. And he teases you on it because he knows you're going to read in just a few days. This is Wednesday. He overturned the temples on Monday. On Friday, he's going to a cross. And guess what he's going to do at the cross? He's going to do both of these commands all at one time. He's going to love God with all his heart and go to the cross in obedience. And he's going to love everyone in the world by giving his life for them. All in one act. So in Jesus, not only do you learn what it takes to get in the kingdom. You watch him do it for you. And you're mind blown at the fact that you are so utterly incapable. And yet he goes to the cross and fulfills the law for you. He fulfills it for you. Now if that doesn't floor you. If that doesn't boggle your mind if it doesn't stir your heart your soul your mind and your strength to give him everything in return then you don't understand because on the cross he does it so you're here and i wonder how many of you are closer to the kingdom than you've ever been, but you're not in. You're learning more about who Jesus is, but you have not fully committed your life to him. And I don't mean commit. I'm talking about you haven't surrendered to him and to his kingdom to let him run your life to save you. And if that's you, all I would tell you is essentially what this guy is. Keep looking, keep reading, keep watching, and get closer. Sometimes it's a process. But there are some of you who've been doing this. Yeah, because it's very scary. Don't let me. (laughs) Giving up on everything you've ever thought, done, said, believed, accomplished is really a scary place to be. Wait a minute, you telling me I ain't a good guy? Yeah, that's what I'm telling. That stinks. You get to there. Your next step is... Well, I guess all I can do then under the weight of this thing that's crushing me is is trust that Christ has handled this problem for me. He loves me. And if that's you today, you don't have to get closer to the kingdom. It's time to step over and step into God ruling your life. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. He's in charge. He's in charge of the salvation He is in charge of how it gets accomplished. If you can do that, you can get in the kingdom. And you'll be filled with love, and that love will drive the rest of your life. And you will love because you've been loved. I don't know what else to do. How's it get better than that? We love him because he first loved us. Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll close in prayer.
Now listen, if you're here today, I got something for you if you're crossing that line and you're giving yourself to Christ. Do you want to cross that line? I had a young man come up to me and say, you know, after the service, he came up to me because I said this. He came up to me at the service. He said, I gave my life to Christ uh, three months ago, and I haven't told a soul in here. And I'm going to tell you today. And he told me, and I had something for him. And so maybe you've done that. You've given your life to Christ, but you haven't said anything about it. And so you're not really ready to step into the kingdom and ask God what you need to be doing there. Well, let us help you with that. That's what we're here for. Or maybe you're just going to cross that line today. You're going to say, you know what? I surrender. I'm going to stop the game I've been playing that the scribe is playing, and I'm going to trust him. And if that's you, I have something for you, and I'll meet you out at the information, at the guest info book. All right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. I pray it fills this room. I pray it fills every single heart. And if there's someone in here, Lord, today who for the first time is saying, I surrender. And in humility and in trust. And their heart is filled with love for a God who loves them so much. Father, I pray that they would make that known today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.